Then Jesus told them a parable about the need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected or had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For while he, for while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God, nor respect for anyone, yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she will not wear me out continually coming, by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says, unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen one who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will come quickly, grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, he will find, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How is everyone doing today? I heard a grateful. Good. Good. I have not been very good at remembering to say that, but I, I, I really want to try. Remember, for those of you who don't remember or weren't here, Pastor Jeff challenged us to tell people we're grateful when they ask how we're doing. So I want to practice, and I'm going to give you another shot. People of Chatham United Methodist Church, how are you doing? Grateful. Nice. And what are you grateful for? Go ahead, shout some things out. Family, love. Friends, dinner, did I hear help, health, help, yes, all right, this is an excellent start, but now that we've named what we're grateful for, why don't we take a moment to say thanks, so if you would, please join me in a quick prayer. Lord, we are grateful for so much, this morning we have lifted up some specific things we are especially grateful for. We recognize and appreciate these gifts. Lord, thank you for them and for the blessings we have yet to name. Amen. All right, now let's turn to today's passage. And I realize it opens with the major faux pas. I'm aware of that, and I'd like to apologize on Luke's behalf. He begins by spoiling the end. He tells us the point before he's even told us the parable. But whatever, it's Luke's story, it's not mine. In verse 1 he writes, Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. And, well, at least now we know. And I want to delve further into the scripture, but for now let's just highlight those two things and remember them, keep them in mind, that we ought to pray always and ought not to lose heart. But moving on, Jesus begins, in a certain city, in which city it doesn't say, it doesn't matter. This is a no frills, few details kind of story. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. So, not a good dude. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. Who is her opponent? We don't know. 
what is the justice she's seeking? We don't know that either. As far as Jesus seems to be concerned, these details either don't matter or he's inviting our curiosity, inviting us to wonder what's going on in the margins of the text. One of the few details that he does give us is that the woman in question is a widow, which should tell us a couple further things. The first is that as a woman without a husband in that time and place was economically vulnerable, which is something I think we've talked about before here, so I won't rehash that. The second is that if the judge is Jewish, then he really should have done whatever was in his power to help this widow. The Jewish scriptures are full of commandments to help the widows in their community. That the judge rebuffs her just further illustrates that this guy neither fears God nor has respect for people. But it also says something uncomfortable about the other people who lived in that certain city. Where were they when the widow needed justice? Why was she alone? At any rate, the persistent widow demands the judge give her justice, and the judge refuses. So she comes back later and demands again and again and again and again and again and again until the judge gets so annoyed, he reasons, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she does not wear me out. And I think that's a funny line for more than a couple of reasons, but mostly because it reveals that the judge gives in not just because the widow was persistent. The, uh, not in, this isn't a story about persistence in the nice, considerate way. She didn't come to the judge when it was convenient for him and ask, uh, please, would you please, maybe, if it's not too much trouble, just give me a little, little bit of justice? No, 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 okay, that's cool, that's cool. Um, all right, well, uh, thanks for your time, and uh, I'll be back tomorrow then. No, she didn't persist like that. She was obnoxious. She bothered him out. She was annoying, bothersome, obnoxious. He just wanted her to stop. And it was precisely those features that won her justice. It wasn't because she was nice about it. And what's more, a detail that is easy to miss, but we really shouldn't, is that by the end of this parable, the judge isn't a changed man. The judge doesn't learn to fear God or respect people. He's just as selfish as he was before. But the widow still gets the justice she calls for. I don't know about you, but that seems to me a little odd. I've always been taught that the best way to a more just world is to lovingly, kindly, gently change hearts and minds. That seems like the Christian response, doesn't it? Shaming and bothering people into doing what's right seems like a short-term solution that ought to be beneath us. That was my initial thought. But then, because I'm a history major, I started thinking about our history and thinking about all the champions of justice I could. And you know, I realized that as, for as much as we revere them now, in their day, they were as obnoxious as all get out. 
they were not convenient. I mean, we can use just like the most famous examples. Like, like when um, Rosa Parks sat at the front of the bus and caused a ruckus, I bet you a whole bunch of people were late to work that day. They did not appreciate what she was doing. And Gandhi, sweet all, who could possibly dislike him? Gandhi, when he marched in protest of the salt tax and inspired civil disobedience all over India, that the, the British government there arrested 60,000 people in response. That was convenient for precisely no one. And, and another one, um, what was his name? Um, that guy who like walked all over Israel, embarrassing the ruling class, and then when he finally gets to the temple in Jerusalem, he literally flips tables and uh, drives people out with a whip. And, and then when the Roman authorities, they, they finally kill him and they think they've silenced him. But then just three days later, he comes back and he's chattier than ever. <laughs> Jesus, that was his name, Jesus. Ah, a real annoying guy, that Jesus Christ. All these champions of justice, and just about any other one I can think of, sought to make the world a better place by changing hearts and minds. But they also weren't afraid to be a righteous pain in the neck when the situation called for it. So when we read the parable of the persistent widow, can we entertain the idea that Christ is calling us to be a little more obnoxious in our pursuit of justice? Sure, we can try, but it's not easy. I'll tell you that much. So many of us, myself included, have this ingrained notion that as Christians, we ought to fight for justice so long as our fight doesn't inconvenience anyone. So say at work, wherever work may be, we notice something, something small, like, like uh, when the boss goes out for drinks after work, he only invites the male employees. Or, or in the board meetings, when the women talk, they are constantly ignored, talked over, or interrupted at rates far higher than their male counterparts. And, and that you don't have to be at work to see. You can see that at school, in the classroom, or at home, on the news, or here in church. And, and in those situations, I don't think anyone's intentionally trying to be unjust or mean. But intentional or not, things like that can exclude or demean women. And so when we see things like that, there's part of us that probably wants to do something, right? Part of us thinks we probably ought to say something. But then there's also that other part of us that doesn't want to be that, that guy, that gal, that's too sensitive. We don't want to be lame or a buzzkill or, or annoying. So that same part of us tells us to hush and just be quiet about it. And the same thing might happen for a whole host of other scenarios. Some of you may be trying to find good, long-term care for your parents, but are worried that the healthcare facility that they're in is taking advantage of them. Or, or others of you may be struggling to get healthcare for, for your spouse and your kids, but the insurance company isn't delivering like they ought to. And you've quietly, politely, patiently persisted 
in trying to get, make this wrong right, but to no avail. And you're beginning to think that maybe it's time you got a little louder. But you're also thinking that you've been taught to never cause a scene. Hush, the voice inside you screams. And then some others of you still have pushed past the inner censor, only to find external voices trying to silence you in the same vein. Maybe an ADHD diagnosis has put your child in a special class on a separate track with a lower cap on their future. And you've raised hay about it only for fellow parents to tell you you really ought to hush. Or maybe you're causing a righteous ruckus because you're afraid for the safety of your son. You've watched the news and you've seen too many young men like him with dark skin dead because they were seen as a threat or danger. You demand something be done, and your neighbors demand you hush. Now I hope all this talk of being hushed resonates with many of you. I hope that I've identified and given voice to an inner struggle you've been silently bearing. But on the other hand, I realize that some of you, maybe, maybe most of you, may be feeling judged. And perhaps that's fair. But if so, you should know that I've saved a lot of judgment for me. I'd like to confess to you that there have been too many times when friends have come to me and demanded justice, and all I could do was Tell them to just be more patient. There are too many times when they've been loud and I just wish they'd be quiet. There are too many times I've made my friends suffering about how uncomfortable they've made me. Too many times I've said, hush. But I don't want to be like that. I don't. I don't want to be so insecure that I lash out at people who make me uncomfortable. I want to learn to be more grateful for the people who are willing to annoy me into doing the right thing. I mean, how, think about it. How blessed are we to have people who are willing to annoy us into doing justice? No one wants to be that person. Being bothersome is no one's first choice. Which is why I'm all the more glad for the people who persist in doing it for us. I, we need those disturbers of the peace. But Micah, what if, you might be asking, but Micah, what if my friend's calls for justice really are counterproductive? Or what if what I think needs to be done isn't all that wise or just after all? Or what if I'm really being selfish and I'm just calling it a pursuit of justice? to get what I want. If you're asking questions like that, good. Those are really good questions that we should be asking. And to which I would first respond, it's a good thing we've got God. Remember, Luke tells us that, that this parable is about the need to pray always. 
The implication seems to be that we ought to pray always to God in order to, one, keep asking God to deliver justice, and two, to ask God to sustain us until that day comes. But there's more to it than that. There's at least one more thing we should ask. After telling the parable, Jesus concludes by saying, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to them day and night? But then what Jesus says next is not altogether clear in the Greek. There's some ambiguity that interpreters have debated back and forth. In the NRSV, the one we read from today, it translates as, will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. Whereas an alternative translation would be something like, God will delay in helping them. I tell you, he will suddenly grant justice to them. Did you, did you catch the difference? It's the exact opposite. In the NRSV, God quickly grants justice to those who cry out to God. But in the alternative translation, God is patient in granting justice. But when God does, it's all of a sudden. So which is it? Well, I am no more an expert on Greek than the scholars who spent their careers studying it and can't decide. But I'll tell you, I tend to favor the alternative for a few reasons, but the main is that if you're going to claim that God grants justice quickly, you don't really need a parable about the need to persistently pray always. The first prayer ought to do it. It's only if God is patient that we need reasons and stories to keep us from losing heart. But I wonder, what if it's both? Is that possible? Can God's justice be both quick and slow? What if God never delays in pursuing justice, but it seems like that because complete justice is rarely achieved instantly? What if God's working behind the scenes right now in pursuit of justice to make this world a more just place, but it hasn't fully happened yet because God's hands and feet are slow, imperfect people like you and me? What if the way God's going to get more justice is by calling you to be more obnoxious? Well, then it's going to take some time. There are people in this room right now who God is calling to that very task. Is it you? Do you know? If not, now is the perfect time to ask. Think about some injustice that's been weighing on your heart. Seriously, go ahead right now. I'll give you a moment. Think about some injustice that's been weighing on your heart. Now, pray to God, what's my role in all this? Yes, pray to God to fix it. Pray for God's justice, but also ask, how can I be of assistance? And yes, I know God's answers aren't always clear. It's a good thing we're praying always, right? Keep praying, keep persisting and asking God, what do you want me to do? How can I help? I imagine that when the judge was pest or sorry, when the widow was pestering the judge, 
I bet day and night she was praying to God, asking for guidance, asking for spiritual sustenance. She didn't do it alone. But be warned. When you finally do hear this call from God, God's likely to call you outside your comfort zone. And if God calls you to be a righteous pain in the neck, there's a decent chance people you love and respect are going to tell you to hush. You're going to upset family members and friends if you keep it up. But remember the persistent widow. Would she give in and give up? No. She'd persist and be a righteous pain in the neck. Rosa Parks, Gandhi, Oscar Romero, Francis Willard, Martin Luther King Jr., all the others in that legion of justice champions, all of them tried to change the world, and the world told all of them to hush. But did they give in and give up? No, they persisted and were righteous pains in the neck. Jesus spoke truth to power and the world told him to hush. But did he give in and give up? No, he persisted and was a righteous pain in the neck. So when God calls you to speak up against injustice, the world is going to tell you to hush. And you will be tempted to give in and give up. But don't. Persist in prayer. Persist in just obnoxiousness. And be the righteous pain that God has called you to become.